Hello and welcome to this Halloween special of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rice, and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And on this episode we are going to explore the folklore surrounding Norse Kalan Gaiav, the Welsh Halloween. We are going to look at old beliefs and traditions surrounding the spookiest night of the year. There'll be witches, ghosts, goblins and all manner of unnatural means of communicating with the dead and predicting the future. And I think no matter how much you might already know about Halloween, there'll be something to surprise you, to delight you, possibly terrify each and every one of you. At least, I certainly hope so. Now, to begin with, we are going to kick things off with one of my favourite folklorists, who published a quite a definitive book in the early 1900s about Welsh folklore, and her name, or at least her published name, is Marie Trevelyan. Now, this is known to be a pen name. By all accounts, her real name was Emma Thomas, but that was her maiden name. And when she moved to London and got married, she got yet another name. But for our purposes, the name on the front of the book that I am going to refer to is Marie Trevelyan. Now, before we dive into this, just to bring everyone up to speed quickly, because as regular listeners will know, every episode in October has been dedicated to Halloween. This is the fourth of those five, so if you do enjoy this, please go back at the end and listen to the last three. But what we've established so far is that Halloween in Wales is known as Norse Kalan Gaiav. Now, Kalan Gaiav is the first day of winter, which falls on November the 1st. Norse means the night, night before. So Norse Kalangayev, the night before, the first day of winter, is Halloween as we now know it. And while it shares many similarities with the same holiday in other countries, one very unique part of the Welsh tradition is that Halloween is one of three Asprid Norse, Asprid Norse spirit nights. And of the three, it is the most potent, the spookiest, if you want to use that word, night of the year. And with that in mind, we will now take a look at exactly what Marie was writing about in the early 1900s in her quite epic collection of folklore. It's, it's not really essays, it's just snippet after snippet after snippet, and she recorded a lot of these from people firsthand, from people who in many cases experienced these things in living memory, so presumably at some point in the 1800s. But let's dive in. And she tells us that Norse Kin Kalangayev, as she refers to it, which again means the same thing, Norse Kin Kalangayev, All Hallows' Eve, was a time of much festivity. In the days of old, it was attended by many superstitious rites and ceremonies. So it's already sounding like a good, good night out. It's a time of much festivity, superstitious rites and ceremonies. Now, one of these traditions was getting a huge log and throwing it on the fire for the purposes of heat and light. 
as a rule, the only illumination of the great farmhouse kitchen was that of the ruddy fire glow. So as well as providing heat, that was your only illumination and any spooky activities would be conducted to the crackling light of a huge log fire. All sorts of tricks were performed and charms were tried. The younger folk amused themselves by catching apples with their teeth from a tub of water. This is a game I think we would be familiar with nowadays, uh, bobbing for apples or ducking for apples, whatever you want to call it. Or they might be suspended from a cord tied to the rafters. This cord was strung with apples, so there are apples hanging from this cord, but it had a farthing dip at the end. And a farthing dip in this respect means a candle. So that was the dangerous part. There was a candle at the end of these apples. And Trevelyan tells us that the greatest fun arose when somebody missed the apple and took a bite of candle. Hilarious. And how times have changed. You, you would not get that past health and safety nowadays, even if it was hilarious watching somebody you know take a mouthful of candle. And there were other very similar hilarious games involving nuts and things which people had to, to bite and catch and not bite and catch the wrong things. But for me, the best part seems to come right at the end of the night because she says when the people were tired, they congregated around the old hearth. That hearth with the giant log on slowly smouldering away and they became attentive and sometimes scared listeners while the aged grandfather or grandmother related fairy tales and ghost stories in the fire glow. Meanwhile, in secret and silence, uncanny tricks were attempted. How good does that sound? Ghost stories and fairy tales around the fire while people play secret uncanny tricks. Now, if that's not a night in, I don't know what is. And she does add, just to wrap that bit up, she does say that Halloween festivities are still kept up in Wales. So this was published in the early 1900s. And she isn't talking about millions of years ago. She's talking about contemporary times to her. She's talking about recent times. But along with all the fun and games and eating and stories, there was a, a more serious side to things, a darker side to things. You could say it gets a little bit gothic. When I tell you that, it was firmly believed in former times that on All Hallows' Eve, the spirit of a departed person was to be seen at midnight on every crossroad and on every stile. If you were out walking abroad at midnight on October the 31st, you would see the dead waiting at the crossroads and on every stile for you. Now, as I mentioned at the start, Halloween is or was one of the three Aspridnor Spirit Nights, and I, I described it as the spookiest of the three, I think. Mary Trevelyan says that it was the weirdest of all the, what, what she refers to as the Tyrnos Aspridion. It, it means the same thing. That means the three Spirit Nights. 
And she starts by describing what what I think is one of the creepiest bits of folklore, not not just surrounding Halloween or Norse Kalangayev, just one of the creepiest bits of Welsh folklore ever. And it, and it goes like this. When the wind blowing over the feet of the corpses bore sighs to the houses of those who were to die during the ensuing year. So on Norse Kalangayev, the weirdest of the tired Norse Aspradion, the weirdest of the spirit nights, when the wind blowing over the feet of the corpses bore sighs to the houses of those who were to die during the ensuing year. Now, I did say it got a bit gothic, and I don't think it gets much more gothic than that in Welsh folklore. Just try and pull that apart and imagine the scene. There is a wind, and it is blowing over the feet of the corpses lying still and motionless in the graveyards and the cemeteries. And if you are to die this year, that wind will carry from their feet into your house, into an open window, maybe into, through the cracks in the door. And if you feel a chill that night, maybe you will not be around to see the next Halloween. And on that cheerful note, you'll be glad to know that things are about to get even darker. No, it's not getting all nice and fluffy, yet it gets darker. Because at midnight, at midnight on Norse Kalangayev, if any persons had the courage to run three times around the parish church and then peep through the keyhole of the door, they would see the apparitions of those who were soon to die. They would see the ghosts of the people that they know from their parish who would not be with them much longer. Now, I don't know if you can combine the two, maybe. Maybe if you feel that chill being blown from the feet of the corpses and you think, well, it it could be me, could you then head to the church, run around it three times and peek through the keyhole to see if you yourself are among those people due to shuffle off this mortal coil before the next Halloween comes around? I, well, I, I don't know is the honest answer. I guess we'll just have to... Try it out one day. If we ever feel that wind blowing on us on All Hallows' Eve, that is the time to get to the parish church and do some late-night jogging. But let's get back to this folklore, because we have not finished with this darkness yet. There is more to come. How about if crows call round the house in the aftermath of Halloween, there will be a corpse of an inmate or the dead body of an animal belonging to the inhabitant soon. If you hear the crows making a noise just after Halloween, it's bad news for somebody or something living in that house. And after all of that, you'll be glad to know that things are going to get slightly lighter, even if it's only temporarily, for our next bit of folklore. And it is said that if people 
on this night on Norse Kalangayev, go to the crossroads and listen to what the wind has to say. They can thereby learn all the most important things that concern them during the next year. Now, I've barely, what, five minutes ago, warned you against going to the crossroads. If you go to the crossroads on All Hallows' Eve, you will see, and I'll quote again, the spirit of a departed person around midnight. I guess if you really want to know what is coming up in the next year, if that, weigh it up, if that is more important to you than seeing the spirit of a departed person or whatever this ghostly thing is going to look like, then you can risk it. But I would highly recommend not being there at midnight. And if that wasn't enough ways to tell the future, enough bits of folklore to help you work out what was coming up in the next 12 months, we have yet another one. And this one involves going back to the church. So maybe you can do this after or before you've run around it three times. And it involves sitting in the church porch at midnight on Halloween. You will see a procession of all of the people who are going to die in the parish during the year. And they will appear dressed in their best garments. So it's nice to know that even though these are omens of death, a dark glimpse into the future, at least they're putting a little bit of effort into their ghostly appearances. And that is not all. We've got another midnight tradition. In some parts of Wales, the girls used to go at midnight and strip and, and, and strip the leaves from the branch of a sagebush. What a, what a terrible place to, to pause for dramatic effect there. The girls would go and strip the leaves from a branch of the sagebush. The apparitions of their future husbands were supposed to pass at the same time. Now, this one, I guess, could be seen as either a dark bit of law or a nice bit. I guess it depends who that apparition is. I mean, if it's someone you don't particularly get on with or fancy, it's bad news, isn't it? But there you go. That's how you get the apparition of your future husband to walk by. Now, another way, girls can look into the future. And th this does seem to be stereotype. And I, I know I say girls, but in the old books of folklore, it was the girls, for whatever reason, who were trying to work out their, their future love lives or, or any other details of their future. And one way they could go about doing that was something called the yarn test. Yarn, Y-A-R-N, yarn. Two girls would agree to make a little ladder of yarn without breaking any portion from the ball. The ladder was then thrown down through the window. Then one of the girls would begin winding the yarn back. Meanwhile, repeating a rhyme in Welsh. Sadly, she doesn't record what the rhyme was, but while repeating this rhyme in Welsh, that ladder is brought back in. This was done three times, and during the process, the watcher would see the apparition of the future husband ascending the yarn ladder. Which, to me, sounds like you could end up with quite 
<laughs> quite a small husband if it is to scale. Probably not. I don't know. But that's yet another way, yet another way girls could find out their future husbands. And there's more, just in case all those other tests didn't work, just in case the yarn test left you in doubt. Maybe you thought, is my husband really going to be <laughs> that small? Well, divination, with reference to matrimony, was carried out by means of bowls and basins. So you could also use a little bowl and basin divination. Three bowls were placed on a table, one containing clean water, one dirty water, and one was empty. How you make it dirty, I don't know. Chuck a load of dirt in or something. Maybe it's washing up water. Anyway, three bowls and the girls of the household. And listen carefully to these next few words. This does not crop up very often. Sometimes the boys too. This is one of the few bits of divination to do with future husbands and wives that the men, or the boys, sorry, can also join in with. And they entered into this with much spirit, we are told. They were blindfolded and led to the table, then asked to dip their hands in a bowl. If they chanced to dip into the dirty water, they would be widows or widowers. If into the clean water, they would marry spinsters or bachelors. If into the empty bowl, they would live unmarried. Now, I, I don't really know which is considered to be the best there. I mean, I guess the clean bowl is the one people were going for, and then you can marry a spinster or a bachelor. But presumably, everyone is going to be a widow or a widower at some point, or everyone who is married. And by, by being a widow or widower, that would suggest you live longer than your partner. Is that something you would like or something you wouldn't like? And maybe some people just don't want to get married, in which case I'll have the empty bowl. Thank you very much. But there you go. That's another way of working out your future or, or lack of future love life. Now, if we turn our attention back to the fire, that huge burning log we started these accounts with, and it was said that on this night, people would cast stones or pebbles into the fire. Sometimes walnuts, sometimes hazelnuts. And when these were shot out by the heat, or if the nut burst, the younger folk ran aside, fearing the goblin black-tailed sow would come and drive them into the fire. Now, the black-tailed sow, as in a pig, a female pig with a black tail, is better known as the hook, the gutter. Now, I refer to the Hoch the Gutter a lot on these Halloween episodes because it probably is the number one supernatural creature that is abroad on October the 31st in Wales. And as the name suggests, it, it really is a supernatural pig. But you do not want to mess with this pig, trust me. And you do not want this pig pushing you in the fire as it would do in this particular case. And to wrap up this little section, she does repeat a piece of folklore referenced on the last episode from the American author Ruth Edna Kelly, but that refers to leeks. And we are told that if a girl went backward and placed a knife among the leeks on this night and concealed herself near at hand, she would have the pleasure of seeing her future husband 
taking the blade and throwing it into the middle of the garden. So your future husband is going to be somebody who randomly throws knives around gardens. And if you have listened to the last episode in which I spoke about that, you will notice that makes a lot more sense than the other version of it. If you haven't listened to the last episode, well, you're just going to go and have to go back and listen to it, I guess, to save me repeating myself. But I promise you it is worth going back and listening to. Now, there's also a little bit of witch folklore connected with Norse Kalangive, which is recorded in this book. And we are told that on Norse Norse Kin Kalangive, as she refers to it, while consecrated bells are ringing, witches are hindered from hurting anybody. So bells ringing on Halloween will keep you safe from the witches. And people also used to say, if you put a few leaves of ground ivy in your hat or coat and go to church, you will soon see who are witches and wizards in the congregation. So if anyone is up to any magical no good, well, I I say no good, I'm assuming back then it was considered to be no good, you could spot them simply by having a few leaves of ground ivy in your hat or in your coat. So that is the night itself. What happens right afterwards? Well, we are told that until the first half of the 19th century, the poor peasantry of many parts of Wales went about begging bread on All Souls Day, November the 2nd. So we have All Hallows Eve, then we have All Saints Day, and the day after that again, All Souls Day, is when they go out begging, and the bread bestowed upon them was called Barra Ran, or Dole Bread. And this custom was a survival of the Middle Ages, when the poor begged bread for the souls of their departed relatives and friends. And this, while it it isn't described as this, does hark back to the idea of soul cakes, as talked about on a previous Halloween episode. And that wasn't all you could do on All Souls Day. It was said that in almost every parish, there was a holy well. And on All Souls Day, old women generally washed their eyes in the waters of this well, so that their eyesight might retain its strength. And I think those two little bits are quite fascinating, really, because a lot of books, a lot of cultures focus on October the 31st and the day after All Saints Day. Rarely do we get any extras again from two days after Halloween, or rarely in Welsh folklore, I should specify. Now, another Welsh folklorist who recorded some of the traditions of this night was W. Howells, and he was writing almost a century before Trevelyan. But what I find very interesting is that his attitude towards it is much more sceptical, shall we say. Well, sceptical is being kind, being very kind, actually. His exact words, and I'll just read one of the, the opening lines to you of what he wrote about All Hallows' Eve, and he said that it was the credulous who go to hear and see goblins. And those who were not so fond of those unearthly beings remain at home 
but not at home doing nothing. They can remain at home to enjoy the what he calls the flowing bowl and to burn nuts to ascertain who shall die. And I think when he puts it so dryly like that, to burn nuts to ascertain who shall die doesn't sound quite as colourful as when Trevelyan explains exactly how and when and what people are going to die from. Now, he continues by telling us the less superstitious commemorate this eve by apple biting, diving, etc., as the English do on St. Clement's, which, from my understanding, takes place between Halloween and Christmas and is named after the Pope, Pope Clement. But that really is something for another day. And also, during this merry month, and we have spoken of the puzzling jug on the last episode, he also refers to a vessel styled the puzzling jug to increase the hilarity out of which each person is compelled to drink. Now, I won't repeat the description because he pretty much says exactly what I described on the last episode. And again, if you would like to go and check that out after this one, please do. But very quickly, he does tell us that the holes in this jug are fantastically arranged so as to appear like ornamental work. And then he gets very technical, talking about how, you know, the jug through the handle, which is hollow and has a small hole at the top with which two of the holes being blah, 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 blah. And to cut a long story short or a long description short, this thing is designed in such a way to trick people in order for the drink to tip over them instead of going into their mouths. And that is wrapped up by saying that this trick is unknown to everyone and consequently a stranger generally makes some mistake, perhaps applying his mouth as he would to another jug, in which case the contents, generally ale, issue through the fissures on his person to the no small diversion of the spectators. Or, as we would say nowadays, people laugh at them when they tip drink all over themselves. And I hope when you combine the information from those two Welsh folklorists, you now have everything you might need to host a traditional Halloween party or Norse Kalangayev party, as they would have in Wales many years ago. All you really need is a big log to burn, some nuts and things to throw onto that fire, maybe a knife so you can throw it at some leeks, and ideally a puzzling jug, which sounds quite complicated to make, so I would probably pop onto one of those auction sites and see if somebody can knock one together for you. And that brings me to the point in this episode where, as with every episode, I like to ask what you think about all of that, and if you have any personal experiences, be they in Wales or anywhere in the world, that are similar. Have you thrown nuts and things onto the fire at Halloween? And what was the result? Did you discover your husband or were you destined to be unmarried your entire life? You can track me down online. It's quite easy to do. Just do a search for Mark Reese, put the word ghosts or folklore or whales in and I will pop up on top and you can have a chat via social media. I'm on all of the main sites on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or via my website and you can just send me an email from there. And it's always lovely to hear from people, even if you just want to say hello, thank you for the 
Halloween stuff. And talking about the Halloween stuff, as mentioned, every episode in October is dedicated to Halloween. There are five in total. This is number four. It's the penultimate one. And next week is the big one. So if you wanted to go back and check out the last three, please do after listening to this one, of course. And then come back next week, unless you're playing catch up and it's already out there. But on October the 29th, I will be uploading what I expect to be my most ambitious, epic, probably longest episode so far. And the idea is that I am going to launch my new book online because of the way the world is right now. I am unable to do that in person. So I am going to launch my new book online on this podcast next week. I am going to have some special guests joining me, and we are going to look at things like Wales's most haunted places that you can visit for Halloween. Some of our favourite stories, some interviews, even some tips on hunting ghosts on All Hallows' Eve. That is all coming up on the next episode, and as always... I'm going to sneak in a quick little sneaky subscribe shout out here. But if you don't want to miss any of those episodes, please consider hitting the subscribe button. It's great for you because you will never miss an episode ever. And it's great for me because I know people are listening and enjoying and want to hear more. Now, as regular listeners will know, I've published a few books about ghosts, and many of these stories were long-lost stories I went rooting in the archives to find, rummaging through old newspapers and magazines and periodicals, trying to find these tales other people had overlooked for centuries. Now, one of the annoying things, but also quite pleasant things about going through these old archives is that many of the references to ghosts and goblins and All Hallows' Eve and Halloween and Norse Kalangayev often come in the form of poetry. Now, these poems can be annoying in the sense that they are not much use to my books. They're not much use when it comes to writing real-life stories about apparent ghostly activity, but they are wonderful when it comes to wrapping up a podcast like this. Because what I'd like to do now is to read to you a poem which was published in a Welsh newspaper back in 1906. So around the time Trevelyan was writing and compiling that wonderful book of Welsh folklore I began this episode with, this poem by an R. Ellis Roberts was published. Now, to the best of my knowledge, R. Ellis Roberts is Richard Ellis Roberts, a journalist, a novelist, and somebody who had a taste for writing ghost and horror stories. As far as I know, they have no connection with Wales, other than the fact that this poem was published in a Welsh newspaper. But either way, it's a nice way, I think, to wrap up this Halloween episode. And before I read this poem entitled All Hallows, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varianum Grando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It's the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And it just leaves me to clear my throat 
<coughs> and to read to you the short verses entitled All Hallows. This night the veil is lifted. This night the doors ajar. And the souls of men that have been can meet the men that are. Hark to the hurried spirits that throng the path to earth. They crave to be embodied. They yearn again for birth. Hark o'er the roar of tempest and smothered rush of rain. Can ye not hear the spirits of men long dead complain? We who so oft endeavour to peer beyond the gloom, who try to shift the limits assigned by death and doom, who long to see the faces where only darkness stares. What do we know of anguish, of agony like theirs? Until next time, no star. <laughs>